a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by Punch-Up Entertainment. I am your host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, is the Minoc to my Exogorth, John Campbell. John, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you, Gargoni, for that lovely compliment, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh- <laughs> you know enough about Star Wars, you know what an Exogorth is, right? Of course you do. Yeah, that's already we're showing who has the deeper knowledge of the. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm 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 ex- so excited to be doing this. Uh, we've been talking about this show for a while, so it's it's nice to actually be diving into the uh, the massive world of Star Wars comics. Yes, good indeed. Uh, good God is correct, though. <laughs> God, it's gonna take us decades, right? Uh, possibly, very possibly, though uh, we we have a bit of a game plan starting out, obviously, but uh, in the future we may take a, a little bit more of a roundabout journey through a galaxy far, far away, because if we just went from c- point A to point Z, we could be at this for a long, long time and never get to some of the most interesting comics in the Star Wars canon. I mean, it's it's real easy to start with because there's one Star Wars comic for several years. <laughs> it's true, though. Even that is an incredibly interesting read and dive into kind of the mechanical nature of how Star Wars, uh, let's call them expanded universe, because that's what it was called for the longest time, was kind yeah. of cobbled together on the fly. Indeed, uh, and. Uh... Oh boy. Uh let's let's dive into what we're what we're talking about in this first episode. Where else to start but here, right? It's true. Uh so because this is our first episode, a brief explanation of what we're going to be doing here. We're going to be taking the Star Wars comics one issue at a time, and that is going to be starting with Star Wars 1977 number 1 from Marvel Comics. Uh From here on out, we will be doing these one issue at a time, and you can read along with us if you happen to have the Marvel Unlimited app, or if you've collected all of these books, or if you have more, let's call them smugglers' methods of finding these books. Yeah, they're readily available, which is interesting, because uh, I think a lot of people have forgotten these comics, and I think, for a while, I thought Lucasfilm was happy to have us forget these, but... (laughs) Uh, yeah, so the original Star Wars comics from Marvel Comics Group, as it is emblazoned on the front cover, was released in July of 1977. So about three months after the release, not even three months after the release of the original Star Wars, before it was even yeah. called Episode 4 A New Hope. Well, I just, I mean, we're going to start as we always do with the cover, and I'll just say, even the fucking logo's wrong on this thing. I'll just bring up the the cover right now so that our viewers on YouTube can see, though if you are listening via the audio podcast, uh, you can find this very easily online if you just type in original Marvel Star Wars. It's one of the first images that comes up. Yeah, uh, and this is, uh, uh, as as I believe the entire thing uh, is illustrated by the legendary Howard Chaikin. 
Yeah, we've got a few legends attached to this book right off the bat. Written by Roy Thomas, drawn and inked by Howard Chaikin. We've got Mary Severin doing colors and Jim Novak doing letters. Uh, this book is just chock full of top tier Marvel uh, talent at the time. Yeah, it, it is. Um, though the quality of it may not reflect that. <laughs> well, look. When Marvel was given the rights to this book and was told, hey, make a tie-in comic, I'm sure they just had whoever was around in the bullpen being like, hey, Roy, you got a second? Can you look well, at the spec script and turn it into a comic script? The, the thing that's crazy about this is when they took this property out, nobody knew what it was. It was at the time a weird sci-fi movie shooting in Tunisia. And they, they, they got, Marvel got this real cheap because basically nobody wanted this because who the hell knew what a Star War was? <laughs> so, uh, so th th this is, this does sort of feel like this was nobody's like top project by any means. Oh, gods, no. And you can tell based on not only the writing, but also the art as we go through this first issue that like yeah, no one's bringing their A game here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so interesting for somebody who is like one of the all-time legends of comics. This is really Chaikin on autopilot because this is, you know, look, I love Howard Chaikin, but this is some of his worst work objectively, really. Oh, we will talk about old man Prince Valiant Luke Skywalker as we go oh. through this book. <laughs> oh, Luke gets the worst of it, man. None of them look great, but Luke really look. I mean, let's just talk about right here on this cover. There's... There's a lot of bizarre things just with this cover that I think are indicative of what this entire book is. Yes. Um, I, I, where, where, where to start? Can I read the... I, I love the old cover. I love how much they really tried to entice people in the comics. Number one, you got to love that it's a, it's a fabulous first issue. Well, uh, and... Yeah. And then uh, uh, we have our very... Uh, uh, you know, old movie serial. Enter Luke Skywalker. Will he save the galaxy or destroy it? Was now, that ever a question in with what, Luke's what you, hero's journey? Let, let alone in the journey, let alone in this issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but they oh. say it is epic, official, not to be confused with the unofficial adaptations of a film by George Lucas. So, by this point, by the time this issue is coming out, which you got to think that they probably made some modifications to this cover in terms of like the lettering and whatnot slapped onto it. By the time yeah. this book came out, Star Wars was always already the biggest movie in film history, right? Uh, it certainly, yeah, pretty much on its way to, yeah, th that that it's summer of '77 yeah. was. I, I wasn't even alive for it, but the echoes of what it did to the film industry live on to this day. Uh, indeed, yeah. My my father always tells the story. He was uh, out of town when the movie came out, and by the time he came back, everyone was obsessed with this thing called Star Wars. And he's like, "Well, I've got to see it." <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was sort of like it, it. This thing hit like a meteor, right? And so people were scrambling to get tie-in merchandise out the door. There's the famous story of how Kenner couldn't get the toys done by Christmas. So they were literally selling kids vouchers for here is a certificate that will get you a toy. Eventually. Yeah. They were selling <laughs> empty boxes for future figures. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the, uh, uh, I, I highly recommend, 
uh, either the toys that made us or the documentary Plastic Galaxy. Either one uh, do they both do a great job of explaining that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, right off the bat, so this is coming hot on the heels. Marvel has f- stumbled into what was probably I don't you know this is not a show charting Marvel's history, but I got to say probably one of their top selling books. It uh, had to be. Uh, oh, based sure. on his popularity uh, on a thing they were like, I guess we'll take it. Well, especially uh, in '77, Marvel. I mean, they're not they're not crashing and burning quite as hard as they will in the '80s and '90s, but they're by no means like at the top of their game. We're about to enter into kind of like the more Bronze Agey uh, Marvel era. We've got a lot of classic runs starting around this time, um, but we're transitioning from the Silver Age, and even seeing Roy Thomas on a book is kind of indicative of that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this is definitely the uh, Stan Lee is winding down, you know, being the main writer of stuff, so everything's in sort of a weird state of flux where... We're kind of in that weird nebulous uh, Stan Lee to Jim Shooter era. Mm-hmm. We're not yet fully in the Shooter years, which is still one of the parts of comics history I'm most fascinated <laughs> by is Marvel under Jim Shooter. But yes. So we're in this weird place. And I, honestly, I think this comic kept them afloat through some riskier stuff that they did uh, in some of their lower selling books at the time because... This was guaranteed money for them, just calling it Star Wars, even. Oh, kind for of sure. About the quality. <laughs> uh, why? But I want to talk about the co- one of the things that, that really stands out about this cover is the colors. And, oh, yeah. Uh, just they're not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start with the green Vader at the center, right? That automatically makes you raise an eyebrow. Obviously, it's- he's not colored this way throughout the book, but it's a weird coloring. I'm not even going to say mistake. I think it's a choice. I would have to find an original like print copy to see if this is true. Cause sometimes when you get these digital, when we're reading the digital version of it, um, they can have some coloring mistakes that crop up along the way. The green Vader though, has long been a thing people talk about associated with this comic though. I, I feel like even though it's not the case in the book itself, when people talk about the original star Wars Marvel book, they talk about green Vader armor and, yeah, it's just it's so weird to see. He's also the the asymmetry of the helmet here. It's it's really this looks like a hurried job here on the penciling. Oh, that helmet is a mess. For sure. I mean, you want to talk about like strange inconsistencies. We've got red lightsabers for Luke and Obi-Wan on the cover here. We've got this weird yellow jumpsuit for Han. Uh blaster. Look at that. Hot pink blaster. Yeah, the the beatific uh look of princess leia there in the center i mean it's all famous ginger famous (laughs) ginger princess leia look at that red hair yeah and then we've got like i I mean that's basically an x-wing but it's not quite right and then is this a y-wing over here it looks like I think we've got a couple of Y-Wings. We've got the front of a Y-Wing and a Y-Wing coming straight at us, which looks odd uh, because it doesn't look thick enough. And then we've got a couple of TIE Fighters on there, though the TIE Fighters are really fading into the the black of the background. Yeah, there's one that you can clearly see, and the other one is, I don't know what's going on with it. I love the Y-Wing that's coming in from the side, like, uh, hey, can I park here? (laughs) Yeah, they're... 
the whole design of this cover is a little bit of a mess and it does feel like we just need a cover for this thing called Star Wars. Whoever drew this had a basic understanding, had read some kind of spec script that they were sent. And we'll talk about what I think they were working off of with this book. one of the things I'm curious to talk about as well, because it's interesting to see what designs are dead on and what designs are way off and then what design the the, what designs they kind of just ignore like they don't even bother to fill in details of well and i think another telling thing is some of the dialogue that is said in the comic book that either is modified in the film or never actually even makes it into the film and i think a great example of that is right off the bat on the first page we have Star Wars adapted from George Lucas film. We've got, yeah, all of our credits up there adapting the greatest space fantasy of all, which I will accept that even today. I don't even know what else is in the running, man. (laughs) You don't read enough fantasy, Sean, but that's neither here nor there. just Just in terms of in pop culture, the ubiquity of in terms of you're talking space fantasy, space opera. It's like, what is this? Like Star Wars? It's like Flash Gordon. I mean, I don't know. Like yeah. the next, it just in terms. Once again, I'm not talking about like anything specifically, but multimedia brands. It's got to be Star Wars. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Uh, um, but we start with that classic scene of the Star Destroyer chasing down the blockade runner, albeit extremely abbreviated. In that, all we get is the back engines of the blockade runner. We don't even see the full blockade runner. That's what I was going to say. Is one of the first things that struck me here when you talk about them just sort of, uh, you know, really avoiding almost the design. Is that yeah, the back engines looked correct with all the sort of exhaust ports but yeah where is that iconic blockade runner i mean everybody knows the beginning of star wars and also uh is the star destroyer missing a key part of the top here where's that bridge like, section yeah yeah where is that uh and, and it, also it's it's at a weird turn that you never see them take yeah and again i think this is a result of they were probably given when the production of this comic started, and I can only guess how long the lead time they were given on this, but mm-hmm. they were probably given some kind of shooting script, and that is immediately evident based on the opening crawl dialogue we get here in these caption yeah. boxes, and I'll explain why in a second. But okay. they were probably also given, I'm guessing, either concept art or production stills, and maybe some of those production stills weren't the best quality. Yeah, I I think that's uh, that's a hundred percent the case. I also uh, I almost said not to be a nerd here, but we're doing a Star Wars comics podcast. <laughs> uh, where are these blasters? Like, where is this fire coming from? These aren't the guns of a Star Destroyer, sir. No, because the guns of the Star Destroyer are on either on the upper uh, side or the lower side. There are yeah. there are starboard and port batteries, but those fire outward at a straightforward angle they don't shoot forward like the main turbo lasers come on they don't even appear to be coming from anywhere (laughs) that's also true Uh, and here's the even more fascinating thing about this book to me at least is at this point the years of entrenched dogma around the star wars universe doesn't exist so this is already blazing huge trails in terms of what's it's establishing for the canon if we can even call it canon at this point there's there's words in here that i don't remember hearing in any of the original movies that are in this comic absolutely 
fascinating. But, but words that will eventually become ubiquitous for larger sections yeah. of the expanded universe as well. Um, we'll get into the cosmic force and other things like that. But right off the bat, I want to point out this opening crawl here because do you know what's interesting about this opening crawl specifically, John? I don't. I mean, other than it, it reads somewhat like the one that's in the movie with some slight differences. But what exactly are those? This, what we're reading here is when it starts with it's a period of civil war in the galaxy and ending with uh, and imperial control over the galaxy would be lost forever. That was all of George Lucas's original opening crawl. The opening crawl we saw when the movie actually premiered was written by one of his film critic friends and I believe Ryan De Palma. Brian De Palma, yeah, Brian De Palma, yeah, legendary filmmaker, yeah, who was instrumental in uh, that crawl specifically, and sort of being the sci-fi uh, outsider, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in going. And he did a lot to help the movie play to just regular audiences. But yeah, the the words we're seeing here, they're a little uh, flipped around. I believe the. Uh, will spell certain doom for the champions of freedom was actually the end of uh, Lucas's original crawl. But these are the words that he had originally written as the opening crawl. And they do read a little too wordy mm -hmm. when you, yeah. and then what I like though is uh, that ain't enough for Marvel in the seventies, man. <laughs> no, uh, sir. Got to add more. I mean, one of the big things across the board reading this and, and one of the things that whenever I read older comics from this era and stuff like that, is they're always so overwritten. And this is a perfect example of that, where it's like, also, but that is the near future. At this moment, ab above the yellow planet tattoo, it's just like, it's just Which, too much, man. In a modern comic, we would see this shot over the yeah. cresting over the horizon of the planet. Instead, we kind of have to look behind those oh, yeah. dialogue boxes to be like, is there a yellow planet back there? I guess that could be a planet. Well, once again, if you got rid of all these words, you might see a yellow planet back there. But this is, once again, indicative of the whole thing. I was aghast at the lack of detail throughout this first <laughs> issue. It would be so unacceptable in a comic book today. Absolutely. But speaking of lack of detail, getting into the second page, I love we get the scene with the stormtroopers storming the tent of four and the backgrounds are just huge splashes of yellow and red. And yeah, I, no I, clean white hallways that we're used to seeing in that open sequence. None of that. No sense of space. Look at how wide this opening battle is. It looks like we're in like, it looks like we're on Tatooine, really. It looks like a big, you know, Lawrence of Arabia battle or something like that. Not in a tight hallway. Well, when I, what's really clear is that uh, Chaikin's art here is we've got these big splashes of color and the inking is doing a lot of work to actually give us what details are here. Oh, definitely. Uh, and then so begins the incredibly inconsistent design of C-3PO throughout this first issue. Oh, C-3PO is made of rubber in this issue. Yep. He yep. His, his head is constantly changing shape. The length of his arms is constantly moving. Uh, his legs can go in all sorts of directions. But yeah, we Im immediately are given to that. this. Look at that third panel. That's 3PO in an action dive you've never seen him in. Yeah, I, I expect him to be holding two pistols with doves flying behind him in that position there. 
that is Chow Yun Fat 3PO. Um, <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't obvious already, this first issue of this book is a straight up adaptation of episode four on New Hope. Eventually, this comic will move beyond the movie, and that's when it starts getting really, really interesting. But these first few issues are really just a straightforward adaptation of that first Star Wars movie. We had a, we had a big debate as to what to do with this because it's the first six issues of the comic are the adaptation of the movie, and we talked about should we skip that? And then as we started to dive into it, no, there's some interesting little things in here that make it familiar but different, either things that were we'll, we'll about to we'll get to bigs and stuff like that and things that were actually deleted from the movie mm-hmm. and then we'll get stuff that's just like what yeah a, a perfect example and why this comic is way too wordy is in the second panel here on this page where we have uh 3po and r2 talking to each other and the captions go out of their way to say a pair of robots not droids robots Yep. designated C-3PO and R2-D2, or more familiarly, C-3PO and R2-D2, but this I, time spelled phonetically. <laughs> I I have no idea who that was for. Like, I just like, <laughs> like, so that feels like a weird editor's note that's like, no, wait, we can't just put a bunch of numbers in here. We need to, yeah. Uh, People think it's algebra, John. That'll confuse and infuriate well, them. Throughout the rest of the book, it is R two A R T O O, and you know three because, because that's how you'd say it. It is how you'd say it, but it. Did, but also, I could read that, or just I don't know. Pick one. You yeah, one or the other. Not the. Uh, well, they're technically called this, but we're going to sort of colloquially call them this. But uh-huh. but but if you're reading them on the page, they say the same thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's very funny and even more so is when you get past 3po and r2 here and we go to something that's not in the movie uh at least not in the final cut of the movie mm-hmm. which is luke watching this battle from the ground on tatooine uh, th- there is no dialogue here and it is describing everything you are seeing yeah i do like the inclusion of uh noting that what he's watching the battle with is his macro binoculars that's something that was never said in the movie but that's what those will eventually become called but then they're called something else later in the comic which yeah i know uh we get we get luke in his uh fancy desert bucket hat with goggles uh riding on the top of his head and And we also this is a weathered weathered man this 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 is a Luke that is easily in his late 30s, early 40s, who has been beaten by the desert sun into a wrinkled sack of a human being. We're sure this isn't Uncle Owen. Uh, I can't be sure until they're standing side by side. Because, yeah, I don't know. And we do get the use of the word land speeder, of course, and we get the mention of the distant town of Anchorhead. Mm-hmm. And Luke is off to Anchorhead. Meanwhile, we cut back to the Tantive Four, where we get that classic scene of Vader snapping necks. <laughs> yeah, not with the Force, just with his own hand, baby. I mean, that's how we're introduced to Vader in the movie. Is just know, like... it, is, it is dark, man. Mm-hmm. Straight up murderer from opening, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like how a lot of the stuff that is never said in the movie, but George Lucas had in his head, is right here on the page, and that is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, tightens his fingers on the rebel officer's throat. I just became James Earl Jones there at the end. Um, well, it just when you're talking about Vader, your voice just kind of lowers. Yeah, it's um, yeah. But uh, uh, right off, that was something that took me by surprise when I was reading this. Dark Lord of the Sith. 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe the Sith is ever said in the original trilogy. The word Sith is never said in the original trilogy. Yeah, because I remember when the the prequels came out, that was the first time we were really tossing it around, like, ubiquitously. It's true, but that term did creep into the ubiquity that became the expanded universe via books like this and eventually the West End RPG and a bunch of other content that like all of these ideas and whatever world Bible George Lucas had eventually did seep out and became synonymous in the fandom, regardless of what is actually said in the film. So by the time we have Empire Strikes Back coming out, there are people who know that Darth Vader is a Sith. Yeah, I just think that's interesting, and it, and it, and it further adds to this, like, what do they have? They clearly have some kind of Bible or, you know, guide to the universe at some point. The fact that that the that Roy Thomas would write Sith here is very interesting. Well, have you read uh, any of the, like, shooting scripts for A New Hope, John? Like, oh, yes. Usually a lot that. of these characters are introduced yeah. with... George Lucas yeah. just loves writing stuff that's never actually said out loud in his scripts. <laughs> I will say, one of the... Um, uh, when I was a kid, I had the published script of Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a horrible script to learn what screenplays look like because Lucas doesn't follow <laughs> any format. He way overwrites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a it's a, a a format that only works for George Lucas. So uh, <laughs> I needed other help, but it was what was out there. You know, I was like, oh, I have I have the blueprints for Star Wars. You know, uh, absolutely. So uh, speaking I, of I blueprints. Uh, R2's getting a little message from Princess Leia down here at the bottom of this page. Mm-hmm. And he's saying his classic catchphrase, Ree-ree! Ree. Yeah, it's it's so difficult to... Well, also, his head is drawn. R2's top is drawn super oh, weird in that last panel. It's um, so weird. He looks like a bullet. And again, just assume that every time we see 3PO, his head is a different shape, and you'll have some idea of what we're talking about in this book with 3PO's weird gummy body. <laughs> His weird gummy body, and sometimes, and particularly in this last panel, his expression is so creepy. He is ghoulish here. I think in the wrong light, 3PO can be pretty creepy. I mean, we've seen evil, uh, like, protocol droids in the other comics later down the road, and, like, Triple Zero, who I hope to talk about someday in the the Dr. Aphra comics, you can have a super... Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can, but this is this is like a leering, like three ah, PO. Yeah, uh, how you doing there? I uh, want to get to this next page though, because it has one of my favorite changes from the movie, which I would be very curious if this was actually in the shooting script. Is so we get the droids escaping like they do. They get into the escape pod and flee. Three PO being like, "Oh no!" the whole time. Yep. Meanwhile, we get the stormtroopers searching for survivors aboard the ship, and when they come across Princess Leia, there is the greatest exchange in this issue, in my opinion, <laughs> which is the stormtrooper coming around the corner saying, there's one of them, set weapons for stun, and Leia flipping yeah. around, drawing her blaster and saying, I've set mine to kill! <laughs> Just bloodthirsty Leia. I'm going to get some storm. I'm going to drop some storm to her bodies today. It's going to happen. And then what appears to be the most violent stun setting I've ever seen on something. Look at that. Yeah. Well, obviously they didn't have the effects locked in when this book was being drawn. They had no idea what the, the stun setting on a blaster looked like. 
True, but you have the context of the stun setting from Star Trek or something. The idea that it would be like a pulse of some kind. Not this looks like she just takes a hard shot to the shoulder here. Yeah, but John, the the young girl starts to flee once more, but unfortunately, not as the as the light speed of a paralysis ray that is shot into her. It's a paralysis ray. It's fine. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember that being tossed around ever again. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then I love the stormtroopers being like, "She'll be all right." <laughs> Uh, or like, like some other guy was like, geez, uh, hit her pretty hard there, Dave. And he's like, ah, she'll be all right. She'll be all right. Uh, then we get to a scene that was pretty famously cut from the original film. And that is yeah. Luke getting to Anchorhead. Uh, but I say this, this introduces my favorite character in this comic, which is the anger, the just shape of an angry old man telling Luke to slow down <laughs> as he's flown in the air. It, Boy, you talk about doing absolutely no work on a panel. Look at this panel at the top of the page here. I just, told you kids to slow down. Yeah, it's just pink shapes and dust clouds. The the barest representation of a human over here from Howard Jakin. Uh, but, but then we oh, get then a know. very... Uh, I don't know what's going on inside here, man. <laughs> I mean, okay, so there are two characters in here named Cammy and Fixer who were in this scene that was shot, and you can find oh, yeah. the deleted scene out there, and they were recently highlighted as uh, background extras in the, the Book of Boba Fett, so that was fun. That was very cool for Star Wars fans. However, they are up to, I don't, I'm just going to say what appears to be some adult activity over here on the, oh. on the side. Fixer's getting a hand job right here. There's, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> like that mm -hmm. seems to be what's happening here. I, 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 there is no other way to read this. <laughs> he he is laying back, his head up. He seems to be in the, a, a blissed out state. Whereas Cammy is leaning over him, looking thoughtful, with one hand under the table, uh, near his waist area. So yeah, I, I don't know what else to believe here. I will say, having read other Howard Chang comics, I think there's 100 percent that's what he intended. <laughs> So is this Howard Chaikin's like subtle nod of just like, oh, he's really like this script is really jerking him around. Uh -huh. Maybe so. Maybe so. Because uh, then it's so interesting that that is so the focus. And then Luke and Biggs are just over here having their little dialogue. Yeah. So we get Biggs Darklighter here, who is a character that is very, very briefly actually in the movie. Uh, he well, is Luke's friend that shows up at the very end of the film and they go like, oh, it's, I've, I haven't seen you in forever. I always thought, why didn't they cut that too? That was so <laughs> weird that they make it seem like, and, and then he was an audience member going like, should I know who that guy is? And when and Luke course, reacts so violently when he eventually gets shot down by Vader. Yeah, it's like, well, that's I get that Luke's upset, but I barely know this guy. Right. Uh, and I, I, you know, this was an interesting idea. Now, he's clearly, <laughs> apparently, a, a young Rock Hudson was playing the part here based on the <laughs> drawing of him. Um, because, yeah, he's, uh, and, and, and he's, he's supposed to be very dashing in his cape and mustache. And, yeah, he's telling him. Uh, you know, uh, he's going to the, he's, he's, he's going to ship off to join the, the Navy, right? Uh, or well, the, the backstory here is that 
Biggs left a while back so that he could go join the Imperial Academy. And then once he finishes the Academy, he gets signed onto a ship somewhere. The twist mm-hmm. here is that he's telling Luke, I'm going to break that protocol and go off and join the rebellion. And Luke's like, what the rebellion? You can't do that. That's all like, that's where our people go to fight and die. And Biggs is like, yeah, right. but keep it under your hat. Okay, boyo. <laughs> Don't tell anyone I'm a traitor. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then, and there was also some dialogue here about how Tatooine is nothing anyone would fight over. So we talk about Luke. Uh, li- little does this comic know that this franchise will never escape Tatooine. <laughs> Tatooine is the most important planet in all of Star Wars. Uh, we know this. Of course. We've, yeah. The, 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 the comparative screen time between Tatooine and Coruscant is hilarious. Yeah. For seemingly uh, being the actual most important planet. Andor is fixing that a little bit, but yes, as of right now, Tatooine has the most screen time of any planet, it seems like. Hey, as we're recording this, there are so many episodes of Andor left. I can't wait for Mission to Tatooine. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's go back to while in out in space. Um, yeah, it's so I weird. Don't... It doesn't say meanwhile, it just says while. While out in space? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we get our confrontation between uh, Vader and Leia. Uh, this pose on Vader is so un-Vader. He looks taken aback or alarmed. He's like, no, Princess Leia. And again, we're at a time where we don't know what Vader's deal is. Is oh, he no. a robot? Is he a man in armor? Is is that armor emotive in any way, shape, or form? It is we, here, that's for sure. That's well, and we've seen that to greater and lesser extents in Star Wars comics going forward. We'll see more cartoonish, I guess, for lack of a better term, versions of Vader where the mask can get a little bit more expressive depending on what angle it's drawn from. And it, that's a classic comic book thing, right? The Spider-Man, Deadpool characters who wear masks and and them changing the expressions on them. But I just this like you girl um is so weird, and I love oh this. This rip stormtrooper proudly holding a rifle. I don't remember them ever using in this context. Uh, that the 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 long like uh, imperial sniper rifle. Yeah, don't that worry about it. That is more it. Whatever. Uh, clearly, once again, they saw that in a design. But I just love the way he's like, "Yeah, we got her. I'm a badass." Yeah, uh, and we get that classic repartee between. Leia being like, I'm on a diplomatic mission, and Vader being like, you're full of shit and you're a rebel. Take her away. Tear this ship apart. Yeah, and then we get uh, an Elvis-looking Imperial guy behind uh, Vader here in the second-to-last panel. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, uh, little Vader gonna check out the ship for you. Uh, I will say the Imperial officer hats and mm-hmm. uniforms in this comic look way more Nazi-ish than they do in the movie. And obviously that's how they were like designed to kind of echo that design aesthetic, but they really lean into it in the comic. Some of that is Severin's coloring too, right? Giving them yeah. that brown kind of tan of the actual Nazi informs as opposed to the stark gray that's in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also yeah. like the reference to uh, data tapes in this. We, ke- we yeah. have to find the data tapes. Also fun to point out this is also the first mention this bottom middle panel here when vader says he must find the rebels hidden fortress in bold yep yep 
Uh, a little Kurosawa uh, in there. Well, and as deeper Star Wars fans will undoubtedly know, uh, there's a lot of influences from a lot of different things in Star Wars, but uh, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress is definitely somewhere in the top five in terms of straight-up influences, and in terms of story structure, it's very similar. Yeah, I mean, Star. if you watch Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress, uh, you will be shocked how much it is structurally the plot of Star Wars, the yeah. first one. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's almost one-to-one. He, he, I mean, and, I, and he'll, Lucas will tell you that. He straight up borrowed the, the basic plot beats, just the, the order in which things happen and the sort of... The, but mm-hmm. there's like a R2 and 3PO characters in it and stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, so this comic expressly calling that out in a way that maybe the original script did before one of his other filmmaker buddies said, maybe don't directly call out the thing you're aping, George. Spielberg takes him aside and is like, oh, George, that's a little on the nose. Uh, <laughs> speaking of 3 and R2, let's talk about they've landed in a place called Jundland? Jundland. It's the Jundland Wastes. There you go. Or that No is a- Man's Land. Once again, Which is, we're, yeah. we're picking, you can call these things any number of things, is what this comic is telling me. Well, and the Jundland Wastes are name-dropped in the first Star Wars movie. Uh, we'll repeatedly see this location throughout the franchise. Uh, this will eventually be where the Mandalorian fights that uh, crate dragon, much to yeah, everyone's I I, pleasure. I, I think at this point now, I've seen every square inch of Tatooine. So, um... We've never seen the North and South Pole. Those are some of the more interesting places, but we'll get there in these comics, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> great. More Tatooine. So yeah, we got them walking around. Oh boy, that the, the second panel here is a real weird face on three PO. Um, and Again. I don't know. And R two's high stepping it into the desert there. Yeah, I, I don't think they actually knew how R two D two moved when they drew this comic. Yeah, because it does seem like he's straight up walking. He's because it he's basically he's the uh, the the classic once again. Love the R2 dialogue. Poet, poet. Mm-hmm. And off I go. Hep stepping out in the desert. You know? <laughs> and this is where we get R2 and 3PO ambushed by the Jawas. Though I will say they compress that so to where R2 and 3PO don't actually split up in this, which I actually think is a pretty good compression if you're going to try to tighten this story a little bit. I will also say, and I love Star Wars, but upon retrospect, a possible criticism of A New Hope is it does take maybe a little long to get going. Uh, just a scotch. Just There's a, scotch. a little too much desert wandering with the robots here. <laughs> Especially because, and I get a lot of that is because they cut the cuts back to Luke that mm-hmm. would have been there. So I think that was yeah. meant to go more. So there's a lot. You don't get Luke till like 20 minutes into the movie. Uh, and so you're like, wait a minute. Where's the hero of the movie? I don't know. So um, all of this is really compressed down to one page where they both get zapped by the Jawas, though very conspicuously missing mm-hmm. any Utini. Not a single Utini. Tragic. I feel that's, that's yeah, that's underrepresentation of the Jawas. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Um, I wonder. <laughs> if, well, I bet. I bet we'll get more Jawas than we can handle by the end of this run. Though. Oh, there is a Jawa-centric book in the Dark Horse Age that uh, oh, we will man. get to. <laughs> I shudder when we get to that Ewoks book. Um, oh, we're gonna get to the Ewoks book too. 
that was Marvel <laughs> era itself. Uh, so we got this is this is the scene we were talking about where Biggs actually tells him he's going to join the rebellion. Yeah, uh, and so we still excluded. This Luke that we see here is proportioned so much like the Luke Skywalker action figure we would eventually get. Very much I, so. I, I'm wondering which design came first. Like, did Marvel have the design mock-ups for the Star Wars toys at this point as well? I don't know. I don't know, but it, I'll tell you, uh, the one thing it doesn't look like is Mark Hamill. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Also, uh, the as, hair. He does have shaggy hair in that first movie, but... This is out of control. This is Prince Valiant. This is Page Boy. This is like very yeah. much a dome of blonde hair on Luke Skywalker. Yeah. This is what looks like the original uh, Luke Lego figure had this block of hair that lowered onto his head. And that's what this looks like. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, like you said, did they have stills or something from the set? Because they obviously have some um, reference for what these actors look like. Because this Biggs actor is actually pretty right. Yeah, but like I mean, scruffy black haired mustachioed man in the seventies, like that yeah. isn't a hard leap in terms of any direction. This could be a, th- we, a dozen different actors. When we turn the page, we firmly get Christopher Lee or sorry, Peter Cushing. They're yes. one same human being to me. Uh, Those cheekbones <laughs> are. Un- oh, yeah. You must command respect with the cheekbones. I just, I yeah. I mean, I, I Peter Cushing is 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 a. Uh, one of my all-time favorite actors. So, mm-hmm. and and yeah, just and I always he was always my favorite Sherlock Holmes actor because I always thought he looked exactly like what I imagined Sherlock Holmes looked like. Mm. Uh, yeah, just that cheek, yeah, sunken cheeks. And I I do I will I've been rough on Chaykin, but I will compliment at least the design of this panel with Tarkin walking in and Vader behind him, almost like Batman. Yeah, I like. That. And this is the the boardroom scene with all the different Imperial admirals and moffs. And we get Grand Moff Tarkin coming in here being like, well, the Senate's been dissolved. All of those, that prequel trilogy that we'll eventually get to, all of it gets terminated in a simple dialogue exchange right here when uh, that Senate we were so worried about is just said, no, no, it's gone now. Don't worry. I love the, I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the council dash dash permanently the last remnants of the old republic have been swept away the regional governors now have direct control over their territories who knew we'd have to watch three movies about that but yes i i hoped i had hoped (laughs) uh but yeah it's interesting uh and i do like the whole thing about like well what what are we what we're gonna lose control he's like no no the fear is enough to control them. This is good bad guy dialogue here that is kind of in the movie, but is a little bit more fleshed out here in the comic. And so mm-hmm. this next page is maybe my favorite, like three panels in this comic in which Vader summons a inexplicable hot beverage for himself using the force. Mm, coffee. <laughs> It's like, how would he drink that? Where would it go? Does he have some kind of port on the top of his helmet? We don't oh. know. <laughs> there is, yeah, there is something funny about, like, mm, Vader needs a caffeine boost. <laughs> I just but, want to see him, like, pour it into the control panel or something. like You know, like... I, mm, I, I want a little straw to come out of the mouth breather in the front and lower into the drink. 
Yeah, you talk about ruining any kind of intimidation. Yes. Uh, this second panel, though, has my favorite design for one of these guys. Look at this angry old man admiral or, tar or moth or whatever he is. He's just mm -hmm. like, eh? Yeah, and this is supposed to be Admiral Modi, but looks nothing like the guy who will eventually be in the movie. No, not at all. Uh, I I do think Chaykin crushes... You, it's interesting. You can see what Chaykin's interested in, because this dude joking is one of the most detailed drawings that Chaykin gives us. Oh, yeah, for sure. He loves that guy being choked. Mm -hmm. And what I like about this is with the coffee cup, this is a way more casual choking for Vader than in the movie. He's just gesturing with the cup, being like, and you're choking now. Yeah. Ooh, was I choking you? I'm sorry. I was just gripping my coffee a little tighter. Or was <laughs> I? <laughs> and uh, we also get here, in a bit of dialogue from Vader, we get this line that is, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the cosmic force, as he says in yeah. this dialogue. So which we have kind of what he says in the movie, except he says cosmic force here, which is interesting. Right. In the movie, I believe the line is the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. Yeah. Whereas here we do have a reference to the cosmic force, which is uh, a deviation of different like ideologies within what people in universe think about the force, which will not be explained until way, way later. <laughs> and never know, in I, the I, movies. I, I, I don't even think. Lucas knew that here when he said Cosmic Force. I think no. he was calling that. And then, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like things he kind of backed out on that then people actually did pick up and run with. Uh, and, I mean, that's all Star Wars is. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. Just the constant addition of things or explaining of things. Yeah. Uh, I do love how embarrassed this Admiral is in this middle panel here. Where he's like, oh, I can't believe he choked me. Look, if you get choked by Vader, you know you're the one who's going to get made fun of in the locker room later, all right? But it seems like, especially by the time we get to Empire, he's choking everybody left and right. Well, and we have yet to, like, at this point, Vader hasn't been in a management role. He's kind of in the subordinate, like, uh, assistant manager to Tarkin. It is one of the interesting things about the first Star Wars movie is you could argue Vader is not the primary antagonist. Tarkin is really the villain of Star Wars in a traditional movie sense. If we didn't have the context of the movies, we would think Vader was the henchman. Yeah, absolutely. He's much more like Jaws, the Bond uh, yeah. henchman, than he is an actual villain. Careful now, you said Bond. I know. No, no, no. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Wait till we start the spinoff podcast about Bond comics. Because um, we do get to the two droids in the Sandcrawler now, uh, and uh, they're about to be sold to the Lars family ranch. The awkward 3PO sitting here. And this is, there is a, there is a 10 times more awkward 3PO sit later where he is full on man spreading. Um, but this, <laughs> yeah. seeing 3PO with like his knees up there's so many poses that just aren't possible because of the costume and actuality that are in this that because we're so familiar with Anthony Daniels in the suit mm -hmm. it's so weird when you see them drawn here yeah and this All is right. one of them uh, this is also this next page is where we finally get to Uncle Owen as raging desert lunatic Uncle Owen <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Owen is terrifying in this comic. Absolutely 
terrifying. Now, we don't get a new teeny. We get a just weird squiggle dialogue for the Jawa here. What I guess that, that that could be in a new teeny, and I'm, I choose to believe it is. Yeah, to be fair, we have not translated that. Um, yeah. So we don't... Uh, but it's like the idea of, I don't know, he's saying some kind of gleep glop. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, and that was a uh, famously, they've done that in comics since time immemorial when they're dealing with aliens. is just like weird yeah. symbols and might as well be in wingdings. And as we, we've talked about, they probably don't actually know what anything sounds like. And well, they definitely don't because a lot of the sound effects are really weird that yeah. they write out here. Um, they do uh, the the R five that busts apart here is almost like why even just cut that? I would have almost said the uh, it, you almost don't even see it in every panel it appears in before the motivator unit goes bad. It right. is black and kind of in the background. Uh, and, and the only time it's actually highlighted is when the motivator unit goes sprawling out of its head. Yep. Uh, which is great. Uh, and I think earlier, uh, yeah, he calls it an R2-D2 model. Yeah. And Uncle Owen, which really confused me. Well, and we have no bearing for what these droids makes and models are at this point. Like, saying an R2 unit doesn't mean anything back then. We just have R2-D2s. They do call 3PO a protocol droid. Okay, so we get droid, not just robots. But uh, he does call him a robot in the panel just before that. (laughs) Yeah, they're using the two... I think we're going to see a thing where that they, they use those two interchangeably and then eventually settle into droid. This, um, this is definitely in the Star Wars Christmas special era where 3PO at the end of the Christmas special says, I wish I could feel Christmas joy, but sadly I am not alive. That is still <laughs> the single darkest line of dialogue. In any Star Wars like I am existentially haunted by that line. He can't feel anything. I wish that, he's not alive. Oh, mm-hmm. never mind. Forget anything about that beloved character. He's not alive. After uh, this, we get a panel in which uh, Luke ages 30 years suddenly. <laughs> my God. Luke <laughs> ages he ages throughout this whole thing. Yeah. We also get the man spreading 3PO at the top of this page as Luke is cleaning uh, up the two droids. Just have to L out my crotch, Master Luke. Yeah. Uh, Look, he's he's got to let those dogs breathe, all right? Oh, I've been... Well, I mean, I guess to be fair, we saw him all cramped up in the sand crawler, right? So he's like, yeah. oh, it feels so good to be out in the open again. Not, nothing, <sighs> Nothing's worse than a, a cramped, sweaty restraining bolt. Okay, John? Oh, yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> um, actually, what's weird is they don't do the oil bath here, which they do in the movie, where he is sort of having an orgasmic experience. So, But never mind, he can't be because he's not alive. Uh, right. so. <laughs> he can't feel pleasure or emotions. It's fine. No. Um, she seems to be feeling some pleasure here, though. Um, now, here's the, when we get the, the Leia uh, uh, hologram, I, there's no color. They must not have had this optical effect for them to look at. No. Because instead we just get, but there's not even like a beam or anything. Instead, there's just a weird little floating Leia in it. Yeah, we get some indication that it's coming from R2 in that third panel where his like little projector eye is pointed toward it, but there's no like a drawn effect to indicate that this isn't just a tiny floating woman suddenly appearing in front oh, of R2. So, it's so weird that they 
<laughs> on that second panel of the of the layer projection, just a stoic standing threepio, not just even involved in the scene, dead eyed, staring, calculating. <laughs> and what is this expression on Luke's face? Well, <laughs> so, somebody somewhere said his name backwards, and now he's aging fifty years all at once. <laughs> They found the painting of me. <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's oh God. Yeah, so all but, all of this stuff. We but this next real- page is what I want to get to, which is yeah. uh, yeah, like I said, Desert Maniac Uncle Owen. <laughs> This is one of the best panels in the book is this third panel here where it's like he goes literally and it's it's just him going. Well, number one, uh, it, actually, this inset panel, Luke looks older than Uncle Owen in it. <laughs> this this is, the old, he looks, he's really looking like Prince Valiant here. Hey, but he, he just mentions the name Obi-Wan Kenobi and Uncle Owen flip shit about it, man. What are you talking about? It's a name from another time. That can only mean trouble. You stay away from that old wizard, you hear me? He's dangerous. Tomorrow, you'll have that R2 units. And he says R2 units here instead of R2-D2 units. Man, the writing is inconsistent in this book. <laughs> and then he drops droid. Droid. There's a few droids in here, but I think we go back to robots sooner or later. Uh-huh. Uh, but I really do expect, if you were to just look at that that panel of him flipping out, the next panel logically should have him with his hands on Luke. You know, like he's got him by the... <laughs> shirt like you listen to me you little bastard uh that that first panel of uncle owen like flipping out really does remind me of some frank miller work where he's like okay and then batman's hands are around the enemy and he's saying no this is a surgery table yeah it is like i want (laughs) to be like owen let him go for the love of god you've had too much blue milk Uh (laughs) oh he's all hopped up on that blue milk yeah man I've had that stuff. It's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I know I, you're not joking too, because of the whole yeah. like Galaxy's Edge stuff. Yeah, I went to the thing, and it's it is it's very tasty. Uh, but yeah, we have the exchange between Baru. We don't get any of Baru here, other than like the back of her head as she's oh. saying to Owen, "Maybe he's got too much of his father in him." That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> and I always wondered, since people don't know, what do they think that means? Just that his father like tragically died oh and we've got to remember that at this point vader is not luke's father leia is not luke's sister none of that is established yet but they know to emphasize that's what i'm afraid of yeah so just like there's just this sort of nebulous something bad happened to his father well what's established in the first movie is that vader killed luke's father obviously that's a mislead on kenobi's part but at least uh, as of the canon of this film, which is some version of it is what this comic is based on, is that Luke's father sought out a thrilling existence as a Jedi Knight and was led to his demise because he sought adventure over staying at home, even though Tatooine, when it was Anakin's home, he was a slave. So let's not worry about that. No, Lucas may not have had as much of this figured out as he <laughs> I do like the, the, I mean, and look, I love George Lucas too, but like the people who go like, he knew the whole thing from day one. It's like, oh, there is so much evidence he didn't. And ma- maybe he knew like broad story yeah, beats. I think that's what it is. I think he had, I think he had sort of the, yeah, the, the big arcs and stuff like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. the idea that he knew all of 
this stuff works. Anyway, let's go to the next page. And the craziest 3PO pose. When he leaps out of this, man, he is on the attack here. Yeah, this is action leap 3PO. And the next panel after that is, I am an emotionless machine and must destroy all of humanity, 3PO. <laughs> Hence the, oh, no. 3PO, <laughs> please, put the gun down. Um, yeah. Uh, and then... And then so haggard Luke Skywalker down the stretch of this. Right, because we're in that sequence where Luke is like, oh, dang it, R2 has run away. 3PO says he's on some kind of mission looking for his old master, whoever this Obi-Wan Kenobi is. And, of course, Luke only knowing Ben Kenobi, that impenetrable disguise. Uh <laughs> I mean, look, come on, man. I, I Look, I, Obi-Wan is one of my favorite characters in the franchise, but you gotta work harder on that. It's like, I would be... Ben, yes. <laughs> oh, what will your last name be? Uh, Kenobi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why would no, I change no. that? I'm from a, a a different side of the family. I I've, we we don't really talk to the Jedi ones. I'm from the Hoboken Kenobis. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been to the Jersey Shore? Uh... <laughs> so we've got uh, Luke and his speeder going off. Now is when we get the cutaway to the stormtroopers finding the escape pod and going, look, sir, droids. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Okay. I mean, I guess that's just to remind people of the danger that's... By the way, there's bad guys afoot. Yeah. Although, oh boy, that first panel. Look at that stormtrooper all the way to the left. He is melting into the other stormtrooper. Oh, again, I think the... The the inks here are doing a ton of the heavy lifting in terms of filling out details. There is really just blotches of color on the page that have then been inked over. Yeah, I can't tell if this is a situation where it's a uh, of a lack of interest for Chaken or a lack of time. I'm it could guessing the latter. Yeah, let's get this out so we can you know get in because I mean because going forward the. The adaptations will come out right when the movie comes out. The yeah. fact this even comes out a couple months after is unusual. But also keep in mind with the history of Star Wars, Star Wars is the first thing that really got a massive mer merchandising push, like as a movie. That didn't really happen like it does now. Right. Though, uh, getting into the bottom of this page, I do want to introduce us to our first segment here on this show, and that is the first appearance of Tuscan Time. Anytime there is a Tuscan Raider appearance, I will declare that it is Tuscan Time. And right now, it is Tuscan Time. Because, John, I don't know if you know this about Star Wars comics, Tuscan Raiders, weirdly important going into the expanded universe. I didn't know that. I, I can only say I've... I keep up with a lot of the modern ones, but like during the Dark Horse era, I really was in and out of them. Oh, uh, I'm going to show you some wonders like Pinhead from Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a thing I actually probably know more about than the Dark Horse Star, Star Wars comics is Hellraiser. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Allow me to be I your Star Wars Cenobite. <laughs> uh, and I think some of it will hurt just as much as anything they would do. To uh, uh, the description. Once again, we're getting deep into description mm -hmm. for pretty ill-defined in the movie. I mean, they're 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 weird desert people, but here they're going. I just love the the barbaric tongue, like the hateful way with which Roy Thomas is describing. It seems it's it's. 
it's racist, but about a thing that doesn't exist. But it is just like, look at these nuts. Oh, look at these sick, twisted things out in the desert. Oh, yeah. Spit upon them. Mm-hmm. You know? I just think that <laughs> it's, it's so weird, you know? A heated argument in the barbaric tongue. The two sand people, or Tuscan Raiders, as they're sometimes called. Only uh, sometimes. Yeah. No, I do love that, where it's like he uses the... Because at this point, we kind of know sand people to be a slur in, in the Star Wars world, right? I mean... Sure. I would ass- I've always assumed it was. But I grew up in a post-Desert Storm world, so I always assumed that this well, was... Yeah, it doesn't have <laughs> there there were sand people in a way. Uh uh but yeah, also this yeah, the unaware of a deadly laser rifle being aimed at them, except for it's not because the land spears over there and the guy's rifle is here. Also, Tuscan Raiders famously do not use laser weapons. They use slug throwers. Hard metal projectiles pushed out of their rifles at high speeds using a gas pellet. And this has been Tuscan time. (laughs) I was going to say, I always just thought they were basically bullets, obviously. But I do. Yeah, that was always what I thought, too, was their their guns go bang, you know, like a gun. (laughs) Uh, Now we're on the floor of a massive canyon Mm -hmm. on the next page. This is where he uh, finds 3PO. Being, or this is where he finds R2, and R2's like making a, a big to-do, and we get oh, another... No, no, no. He's making a big to-weet. Oh, that's true. He's making a to-weet to-wee. More of this Obi-Wan Kenobi gibberish, and then he lets out one final wheat to let people know that there are several creatures approaching from the southeast. And you know Luke dropping the... slurs. Luke says sand people, and then, or worse... No, we're just going to see Sanpi. It's not going to be worth I like this sets up for nothing. I know it's meant to build the ominous. I've heard things. But it's like don't drop me a dramatic panel of a very aged Luke Skywalker telling me or worse and then not deliver worse. I love this next line of dialogue. I've never been out this far before. The wild things out here are said to be weird and savage. Now what I yeah, I like that too. I also like that he says that while running. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me about you know I, I i get you know obviously we both love comics and i i write in the the medium uh so the the idea that you have action within dialogue but it's something funny about imagine him saying that while on the move well and i got to imagine he's like scrambling up a ridge here because behind him 3po is like waist deep in the background image <laughs> i can't tell yes boy how badly do you want to see 3PO throw his leg over that like <laughs> give me no. a second yeah. no this 3PO would just bounce up and just parkour over this thing <laughs> there's a lot of knee bends on this 3PO that you do not see in the movies uh-uh. uh, he has a real action joint there on the knee um, though we get I to our it. yeah we oh, finally we get go. to our last page here and this is where the they use a different term for the binoculars right is that here uh, well, we've got Luke up on the ridge. He's glancing down at the Banthas, being like, but I only see one of them. Where's the other one? Uh, 3PO manages to warn him just as uh, the <laughs> Tusken Raider comes down and attacks him uh, with his gaffy stick. Or in this oh, book, yeah, it is it's- a Gadurfi stick. 
which if you didn't think that sand people was a racist term and suddenly they're using a Gaddafi, I mean, Gaddafi stick. Uh, look, we all know what this comic book is kind of trying to say now. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah. And what is Luke? Uh, and only his laser rifle. Now, where was Luke's laser rifle? I mean, in the movie he's carrying with him, in the comic, it just appears in his hand. Yeah, that's what I mean. It was well, there in a couple panels and then not in other ones. It's really, it's also completely green on the panel before. And Luke is saying, yeah, you know, you know, just like he does in the movie. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, 3PO taking a header off of this, this ridge. Oh, I do enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. We don't even see the top half of 3PO. We just see him and from I- the waist down, but upside down. So his legs are dangling into the panel. Maybe of any pose, that feels the most like movie 3PO to me. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. So, yeah, then- the the issue ends as the sinister stand raider towers above the terrified boy, laughing his horrible, inhuman laugh. <laughs> his dread yeah. axe blade poised to kill. Don't worry, folks, because next issue, we're on to Alderaan. <laughs> yeah, w- way to undercut well. the tension comic. <laughs> You might as well just say, ah, you saw the movie, you know, it'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it is, it is fun to see them try to, where they place the uh, cliffhanger endings and stuff in the movie. And yeah, here Luke's about to get his brains bashed in by a Tusken Raider. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit of background in the back of this book about the creation of this comic and the creation of Star Wars as written by Roy Thomas. Um, and... Yeah, that's the first issue of Star Wars. I wonder what's going to happen next, John. Who's to say? Who could know? I want to send in a uh, a letter to... I'm sorry, is the letters page called Star Warriors? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you gotta love it. Yeah, man, that's the first issue. Um, I mean, it's not great. It's, it's, it's weird to read because it feels like a... Uh, I don't know, like a weird Google Translate version of the movie you love? <laughs> it's watching an adaptation of a thing that is so ingrained in pop culture that many people, ourselves included, know it backwards and forwards so well that to see even minor deviations of it will immediately trigger alarm bells in our nerd brains. That's it exactly. As I was reading through the issue, just like, what? No, we're wrong. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> incorrect because, book because yeah this is especially for us in the era we grew up in where the movies always existed mm-hmm. you know a new hope i've seen as many times as i've seen any movie probably you know yeah. I, that, that that was on constant rotation so mm-hmm. um it's super weird to read but fun yeah so getting this glimpse into the past we will have several more glimpses the next five episodes like we said the first six issues of this book are just a retelling of a new hope after that we will get into the real interesting stuff of when this comic starts deviating from standard storytelling that is the stuff i am psyched about because i i have seen bits and pieces of this of course i've never sat down and read this because why would you it's so tough Oh, we will get to Jackson. Don't worry about that. The weird oh. giant rabbit man, Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's he going to pop up in a movie? Um, uh, he was 
he just showed up in one of the uh, from a certain point of view short stories for the okay. the Empire Strikes Back book uh, that they released a couple years back. The lie, but I have a feeling he's not going to make his way into a TV show anytime soon. At least not a live action. Yeah, maybe. I could definitely see him showing up in any of the animated series that they were continuing to make. If he shows up in Bad Batch, I wouldn't be shocked. No, that's where I could see him showing up. I'm still waiting for a live action Dash Rendar, so, you know. <laughs> that's just Han Solo 2.0, John. We all know this. No, but, you know, those are the characters I like most in Galaxy Park. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, so, yeah. So there's our first issue, Gargani. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are looking forward to what comes next. I hope you will all join us along on this journey through a galaxy that is familiar yet foreign. And uh, as always, you can find us on all of the podcasting services. And if you're listening to this, you can also find a video version on YouTube where you can see us discussing the panels like you just heard us do with the panels directly there in front of you, interacting with the media, as it were. And make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on those videos. Please do. Uh, ring that bell, smash that like button, you know, all that uh, YouTube algorithm malarkey. Uh, of course, the best way... Oh, malarkey, you mean the wonderful folks at YouTube. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes, Google Daddy, hurt me more. <laughs> And of course, the best way to support the show is to do so via our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash punchup because we are part of the Punchup Entertainment Network. You can find all sorts of bonus material if you support us there, including bonus episodes of Action Shelf, uh, bonus episodes of Material Components, bonus episodes, uh, well, of a whole other show that's never been released, which John and I both host, called The Green Mile, where we watch the entire uh show of the incredible hulk from this actually same era honestly um we're just, we're just a couple of 70s obsessed fellas i've often said i was born in the wrong decade mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah check check all of that out lots of fun content over there and may there may soon be some uh star wars based stuff over there too so oh i have some plans where that's concerned i yeah. have some plans yeah i've given some thought too so yeah <laughs> But thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I've been Mike Gargoni. I'm John Campbell. May the panels be with you. (laughs) 